Welcome to the Tournament of Everything, the show where we pit everything against everything else to figure out which of those things is the best thing that ever could be. That's right. And we do so by sitting silently with one another, using the powers of our mind until our brains become one, sinking into an ultimate power of consciousness that threatens to take over the universe, threatened only by our greatest advisor. Who is that advisor? That is the selection that will be moving on to the very next round of While that sounds like the plot from the next Marvel movie, it's not good. And it's wrong. <laughs> we will actually be picking random articles off Wikipedia in the moment. So we will pick two right before we start each round. It'll be the first time Mike or I see either of them. We will discuss them compare them, put them in a death match, and figure out which one comes out the other side. That's right. It's bloody, perhaps. Let's get right into it with round one. In round one, we have Baka Sultan Pezzieri against South Pacific Pictures. Okay, uh, we have one place that is a place, and we have another competitor that sounds like a place uh, and probably does things in places. Well, let's see which one's going to take first place in this round. Baka Sultan is a village in the district of Pazieri in the Belichek province of Turkey. As of 2010, it had a population of 83 people, and that is all the article says. Wow, they're keeping it under wraps. Only 83 people, you say. Um, looking at this picture, though, of the Bilicic province, uh, it looks lovely. Blue skies, green uh, plants, and some water. Yeah, it's a very nice place. It uh, would be a nice picturesque place to visit or hike through. Now, a lot of the time on the show when we have small towns like this, they include the number of households. And I've noticed that that information is lacking from this one. So maybe maybe it's so small they don't even have that number. Uh, one thing that's interesting, it's a village in the district of Pazarieri. Um, when you hover over that, uh, it's uh, got a little bit of information. It's a town and district of the Bilicic province. Uh, gives you a population of the whole area. Um, tells you a couple other things, who the mayor is, but the picture is of what looks to be uh, a, a milk drink of some sort, uh, perhaps paired with cinnamon. Um, it doesn't provide any information about it, however. It, it looks like the person who wrote this article was like, man, I really want to include a picture. And this is the only thing he had sitting on his desk in front of him at the moment he went to upload a photo, and he didn't want to step outside and take a picture of the town. So he's like, well, uh, this will do. Who will know? Yep, yep, we'll yep. know. Refreshing. I mean, I guess. But sometimes you just need a break. And you just need to uh, maybe watch a movie, watch a show. And South Pacific Pictures, our other competitor, can help you do just that. Uh, New Zealand television production company, they produce drama series, miniseries, telemovies, and feature films for the domestic market, as well as internationally. The company produces all of these 
from New Zealand. It's a joint venture with an Australian company, SLR Productions, to produce animated shows aimed at international markets, and it has 50% interest in satellite media, and has also created a joint venture known as Kura Productions with Quentin Hida to produce programming for the Maori television service. Oh, fantastic. Um, Looking through here, they've got a list of a lot of their productions. It seems that they've done a number of movies, you know, but most of their efforts do seem to be in television uh, with such famous titles as Mean Mums, Space Knights, Betty's Bunch, Kurt Vonnegut's Monkey House, and House of Sticks. Yeah, they have a, a lot of TV. They even have made some films specifically for TV, such as Adrift, Lawless, Fearless, Lawless, Dead Evidence, Lawless, Beyond Justice. I'm assuming those are all part of a, like a crime drama, drama series, I would imagine. Nothing yes, that, I, I, nothing that I've, I've known, though. I, I don't recognize any of these films or shows. Hmm... I do see some of them on familiar networks such as ABC and CBS, but I imagine they have different programming in different nations. Now, they did make the series White Fang, which maybe is the White Fang that I've seen before. Ah, and uh, it seems that they took part in uh, New Zealand's Got Talent, uh, which is a format we're all pretty familiar with at this point. Simon Cowell still on that one? Um, I don't think this is Simon Cowell in this one. They probably have their own version of a, you know, kind of snarky and and mean individual in a black T-shirt. Yeah, probably. It's kind of his his shtick. It is. uh, But I wonder what kind of shtick and people are represented in the province of, or in the village of Bacasultan Pazarieri. I mean, there's only 83 people, so... Uh, what an interesting sitcom premise that would be. Everyone knows everyone. I hope. I, I guess I hope. <laughs> I, I hate to be in a town of 83 people and realize nobody likes you. <laughs> You're the one guy. <laughs> oh, great. Steve's here again. <laughs> Time to leave. There was a party? Um. Yeah, so, golly, you know, small towns do so well in this uh, competition but I think there's really a reason. Uh, South Pacific Pictures, you're, you're doing a great job, but, I mean, TikTok's taking over the world. And uh, I think that the small village of Bahisultan Pasarieri, uh, you know, it's just holding down who it is, 83 people living their lives. I'd love to go and meet all of them. I could probably do it in a day. And that's why I'm going to move them on to the next round of... If I can get you to agree to it. Now, this is a tough one because, yes, towns do really well. The smaller they, they are, generally, the better they do. But there's something to be said about creating films, you know, TV shows... Having a staff that's probably bigger than the entire town of Baca Sultan. <laughs> but, but I really do like an underdog story. And if, if one, if I can be a part of one by moving one on, that's what I'm going to do. So I think Baca Sultan gets my vote as well. 
Baca Sultan, we wish we could move your population up to 85, but we can't. What we can do is move you on to the next round of... The Ultimate Yeah. It looks like a great place. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to visit, although I probably would skip the milk drink thing. I will try it for sure. Let's get into round two. In round two, we have Jeremy Lombardi against the cottage outside the village. Okay. Uh, We have a man who lived versus a place where people may have lived. Uh, Let's see which one will be the champion in this round of the Ultimate Tournament of Everything. Jeremy Lombardi was born April 4th, 1996. He's a footballer, meaning the soccer type. Born in Italy, he represents the Dominican Republic national team. Okay. Yes, uh, played for the youth system of Internazionale and Parma. Uh, Made his international debut for Dominican Republic in 2015. Uh, Was a starter in the 03 friendly loss against Cuba. Um... He did get substituted into the game in about the 68th minute. Now, he's eligible for both the Italian and Dominican Republic teams on the senior international level due to his Italian father and his Dominican mother. Mm-hmm. Represented Italy at the youth level. And uh, as we said, in 2015, made his international debut for the Dominican Republic. Um, now... Lombardi, that's a name that's uh, that's gone back in football of all kinds for quite some time. Yeah, yeah, different if, different Lombardi, though. Although that Lombardi, too, was a uh, groundbreaking individual for, um, you know, Italian players' uh, rights and things like that against persecution, uh, all sorts of things like that. And it seems like Jeremy Lombardi um, also had that same last name. Now, his opponent, The Cottage Outside the Village, is a novel by the prolific Polish novelist Joseph Ignacy Krasowski. Krasowski. Uh, Krasowski. Written in 1842, it was serialized in a monthly version of the Warsaw Library. Yeah, they put it out. You had to wait. You couldn't binge this one. It was released over a two-year period, uh, 1853 to 1854, and then in 1854 to 1855, it appeared in a three-volume book edition. The novel tells the tragic story of the gypsy Tumri and his wife Matruna, daughter of the farmer Lepiuk. Tumri abandons his nomadic life for the sake of his beloved and decides to settle in the village, where he takes up blacksmithing. However, Mortuna's marriage to the gypsy is not to the liking of her father, who curses his daughter and turns the whole village community against them. Oh, rough. Oh, yes. Um, the first cottage built by Tumri is next to a cemetery. Uh, the young couple are denied any help from the village. Uh, wow, it just goes on. Um, the novel is characterized by great realism in its depiction of the mentality, customs, and life of village and gypsy communities and by its apt societal observations. It has been adapted both for theater 
and for opera. Look at that. There was even a film directed by Arthur Tredrewicks. Twardigicks? Yeah, I'm sorry, uh, Sir Arthur. I can't pronounce your last name. Now, so we have a, a novel that has been living on through history and even turned into other things against a burgeoning football player who might do other things. Yeah, I mean, born in 1996, still a young cat, still out there fighting for uh, his future. Um, he's out there kicking balls. Uh, he's not a he's not a goalie, is he? No, no, he's not. He actually has one goal in his career. Yeah, yeah, he's out there kicking balls, taking names. Um, however, love me a good story. And this does sound interesting. It sounds like a lot of sad, but um, hey, it doesn't make it bad. Um, so I think I'm going to lay down my vote for the one on a pad, and that is The Cottage Outside the Village. I agree with you. I think that there's a really great story here that deserves a retelling in round two. Fantastic. Well, book your ticket to the next round of The Ultimate Those are really the type of matches that people show up to listen for right there. A book yes. versus a soccer player. Yes, yes. A, a mid-tier. Uh, wow. Born in 1996. Do you remember the year 1996? I was seven. Yeah, it uh, people were being still born then, and they're they're still being born. People are being born all the time. Let's get born into the next round. Three. It's time for round three. In round three, we have Nayez, a village in Kurdistan, against Azad Ali, a British activist. Okay, let's see if this small village in Kurdistan can stand up to the competition that is his competitor in round three. Now, the village of Nayez is in the Yelan e Shamali rural district in the central district of the Dagalan County, Kurdistan province in Iran. We have had a, a number of small towns from Iran on the program. So whatever farm system they got there, training up these young towns, getting them into the big leagues, it is working. Mm -hmm. At the 2006 census, population of 381 in the number we were missing in the other town, 86 families. Okay, yes. Uh, I wonder how many families did constitute that one, but we have moved on since that point. And looking at this, I have only one question. Um, How big are these towns? Like, like, I've got probably, there's probably 100 people in the building I'm in right now. Um, how many towns do you think I could get this building broken up into for the sake of Wikipedia entries? Uh, they'd probably just list it as a building, probably. Okay, but we're thinking these are legitimate big spaces of people occupied by, or big spaces of land occupied by only a few people. We're agreed on that, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Okay, Uh that's pretty awesome. There's not apparently a whole lot of people uh, in a lot of these particular areas. Um, one person who's definitely elsewhere is Azad Ali, the British activist and spokesman for the Islamic Forum of Europe. Um, he might be there, but odds are he's elsewhere doing important work. 
He was the founding chair of the Muslim Safety Forum and is vice chair of Unite Against Fascism and former director of engagement at Muslim Engagement and Development. Mm-hmm. Uh, community Affairs Coordinator for the Islamic Forum of Europe, an offshoot of the Islamist group Jamaat Islami, um, according to fascism and anti-fascism specialist Nigel Copsey, this brought Unite Against Fascism into disrepute as a group unconcerned with uh, Islamic extremism. Yeah, he's done a lot in that community, but it's not without some controversial views. In 2009, he was suspended as a civil servant in the Treasury after he praised uh, an influential Salafi jihadist named Abdullah Yusuf Azam, Osama bin Laden's key mentor, and wrote approvingly on his blog of Azam's son saying that as a Muslim, he is religiously obliged to kill British soldiers in Iraq. Not a good look. It's a, that's a hot take. Yeah. Hot take. Um, yeah, so definitely a man who held his beliefs. Um, and then we've got Niaz Kurdistan, which has held its ground for probably as long as it's been there. Now, there was an undercover documentary about him. An undercover reporter filmed him saying, quote, democracy, if it means at the expense of not implementing the Sharia, of course, no one agrees with that, end quote. Now, Ali himself later attacked the undercover reporter on the official radio station, saying, we've got a picture of you in a lot more than you thought we had. We've tracked you down to different places. And if people are going to turn what I've said into a threat, that's their fault in it. Ugh. Uh, this dude sounds like not a nice dude. Yeah, um, sounds like a dude who, I, I, yeah, I mean, a dude that I'm not gonna vote for. And move on to the next round for sure. Yeah, I think that I, I think that's enough for me. Yeah, don't don't be a you know don't be a Nazi. Have your beliefs, but like, you know, don't try to kill nobody. Let's all just can't we all just get along. Things I didn't think we need to say on the show: Nazis bad, don't own people, murder bad. Like, we should we should start a list of things that I didn't think I'd have to explain. Well, I don't have to explain that I'm going to move the beautiful, sparsely populated uh, village in Yelan A Shalami Rural District, Nias Kurdistan, to the next round of the Ultimate Tournament of Everything. If you concur. Oh, they get my vote. All right. Getting our vote to move on because things in this world are heavy. Enough to move to the next round. You never know what you're going to you know, see when you enter the stadium, the Sonic Stadium that is the ultimate tournament of everything. I'm always surprised but never disappointed. Oh, couldn't be, especially with uh, round four approaching. Ah, my round four is ready. In round four, we have RIT Capital Partners against Rajendra Prasad, a boxer from India. Okay. 
uh, definitely two relatively unknown competitors prior to this season, uh, but both have been making a lot of chatter uh, around themselves. So let's see which one of them can live up to the hype. RIT Capital Partners was formerly Rothschild Investment Trust, a large British investment trust dedicated to investments in quoted securities and quoted special situations. All right, I'm going to stop you right now. This this other guy, he's going to have to really stink to not get my vote to move on. Let's <laughs> hear more about these super, super, super duper rich people. Yeah, so in 1961, the company was founded on the initiative of Jacob Rothschild to serve the English branch of the family Rothschild for investments outside of their bank, N.M. Rothschild & Sons. Now, I know the name Rothschild only because I think there's like a a crazy Q conspiracy that like, ah, this guy runs the world, which is uh, crazy talk. He's a rich man with a bank, okay? Uh, Now, it's a big bank, right? I think most of the the banks that we know are probably big banks. No? While I vehemently disagree, I'm not going to elaborate. (laughs) Uh, It goes well. uh, It's suffice to say that that uh, you know, he's got a lot of money. He's into a lot of things, and that theory has been around for a lot longer than uh, Q. If you want to talk about history, though, in 1961, the company was founded. Um, it says to serve the English branch of the family Rothschild. Uh, their board presently includes a number of super rich individuals, including uh, Felipe Costelitos, um, Mike Power uh, is one of those people, and uh, Amy Sterling. Uh, yeah, so they're doing quite well. Uh, let's see how our other competitor is doing. Rajendra Prasad was born January 17th, 1968 in Bilal, Chittisgarh, India. He's a retired boxer. He competed in the light flyweight division during the late 80s and early 90s and was ranked as high as 7th. Nice. Representing India in the 1992 Summer Olympics in Barcelona, Spain, uh, where he defeated the fighter from Poland 12-6 in first round. That's great. Now, he made it to the second round where he... Unfortunately, lost to the, to the bronze medalist Raul Valesco of the Philippines. Uh, that very year, uh, he receives the Arjuna Award, which is presented each year by the government of India to recognize outstanding achievements in national sports in India. He is currently president of the Chittisgarth Paresh Amateur Boxing Federation and joint secretary of the Chittisgarth. Olympics Association. He's married to Melina Prasad, and they have two sons. And, you know, there's a picture of him here. That's a sharp-looking man. Look at that. He's got a nice blue suit, big collar. I like it. You know, just just a a sharp-looking guy uh, with a swift right hook. Yeah, sharp-looking guy. Won't cut you. Will bludgeon you to death. Yeah, um... I imagine that these uh, RIT capital partners could probably come up with something worse to do to you. Um, it says that they only have 78 employees. Now, that's not very many employees for something so large. No, no, that's interesting. But I, I don't know exactly how banks work at all. Yeah, money makes no sense to me. 
<laughs> I will never have any of it. Uh, but these people probably have too much of it. And, you know, I think I'd like to send Rajendra Prasad over there to, you know, teach him a thing or two, uh, perhaps about uh, the beautiful sport that is boxing. And that's why I'm going to choose him, after all, to move on as my selection to the next round. What say you, Robert? I don't I don't want him to threaten anybody or beat anybody up, but he does teach boxing. So he can just go over there and do like a day training. I don't I want anybody to get hurt, right? No, 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 no. No, a good sweat, you know, maybe a maybe a spar jab or something. Uh but no, we, we don't want to injure anybody. Uh, I think we made that clear in previous rounds. Yeah. But no, I, I agree. We can move him on. All right. Uh hey. You are punching above your class, which was light flyweight, so I imagine that's most other classes. And moving on to the very next round of the ultimate Now that might be another rule. You know, don't be a Nazi. Uh, don't don't kill a whole bunch of people. Um, and and just you know, don't take all the money. Yeah, if if people don't have money, they can't spend money, which means you can't get more money. It's a fine line. Round five. Round five. Round five. In round five, we have Formula Masters Russia against the 1968-69 Alpha Ethniki, the third season of the highest football league of France. Oh, okay. Oh, so we have two really uh, top-tier groups of competitors forming together as teams here in this, the most ultimate of ultimate tournaments of everything. Uh, One, fast. The other, uh, footy. Let's see which one is going to come out with the most points. The Formula Masters Russia, formerly known as Formula Russia, is a single-seater racing series based... In Russia, obviously, series was created in 2011 as an analog to Formula of Barth. Hmm. Um, the way the rest of the information is presented is kind of interesting. Uh, what I'm gathering, though, is that they all kind of have to ride more or less the same car. Is that what you're getting from this? You know, uh, everyone kind of works together, but they have a single stock of parts, single supplier of tires, of uh, petrol, oil, lubricants, uh, kind of a, a commune league, if you will. Yeah, so the whole point of the league is to find young pilots and train them for a big future in Formula One. So this is kind of Russia's farm league of Formula One drivers. So it makes sense that they'd want them all to work together so they can send their best one out into the world. Okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, let's work together to find the best, become the best, and I think that's better. So, uh, man, this is pretty neat. Um, They have events on Friday, free training. Four trainings, 30 minutes each. On Saturday, you get your last training, and they do some qualifiers. And on Sunday, uh, they'll warm up, second qualifiers, second and third races. Get serious. It's always nice when we have a competition against another competition. And so the 1968-69 Alpha Ethniki 
the 33rd season of the highest football league of Greece. The season began on the 22nd of September in 1968 and ended June 15th the next year. Panathinaikos won their ninth Greek title and their first one in three years. Wow. Uh, yeah, they won 26 of their 34 games that season. Uh, very, very successful. Yeah, that is a that is a great, a great record. That year, there were 306 matches played, 808 goals scored. Wow. Uh, let's see. Uh, the most goals scored by a single individual uh, was 35. That was Georgios Sideris. Uh, looks like he played for uh, one of these teams. Tough to tell which. Mm. Yeah, a lot of oh, Olympiakos. Okay, there we go. There we go. There's a results table at the bottom. I've never seen results laid out that way before, but that's kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Interesting, interesting. They had a, a playoffs. Yeah, the, wow, he scored way, way more goals than everybody else. Ten more goals Jujoro Sedaris there scored over over Georgios Dedes. Now, this is interesting. So for top scorers, they include their nationality. They're all Greek, guys. <laughs> they're, they're all Greek. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, didn't we have uh, – we had an yeah, – let's see. He was from Italy, and he was playing in the Dominican Republic earlier. Yeah, that is right. That is yeah. right. You know, some people, you know, they, they, they can be anywhere. Um, apparently, all of these people could just be right here. Uh, and that's where you really want to be if you're a soccer player playing in the 1968 69 Alpha and Thick Nikki League. Man, this is kind of a tough choice here. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I think I'm going to have to go with Formula Masters of Russia just because they are building towards something else. Right, they are working together to find the best of the best and train them up, and I think that that's a, a formula for success. Whereas a lot of the, these things I'm seeing in the 68-69 season are really just competition, me versus you, right? Winner take all, and mm -hmm. I I think I would rather uh, see the Formula Masters move on. Yeah, um, football from the late 1960s does not really interest me all that much. Um, unless, well, and especially when that football is soccer, uh, formula masters racing, you know, it's a formula to get to formula one, you know, it's kind of the formula one plus, and I think without question, it's going to be moving on to the next round. Of... Oh yeah. Yep. Uh, wonder if we've heard of anybody from that, you know, are there, is there anybody who's come out of that and been real famous or successful so far? I don't follow formula one, so I'm not sure. Well, maybe we should get into following the Russian B leagues of racing teams, but until then, why don't we get into round six? And you'll find C round six. Round six. In round six, we have William Gregory Wood Martin against Moran Bakshmugal. Okay, we've got a man with many names versus uh, a 
What is this, a location? A no, man it's with three person. names. <laughs> a man with uh, three names, but there's a lot to those names. So uh, let's find out which name we will be moving on to the next round of the Ultimate Tournament of Everything. William Gregory Wood Martin was born in County Sligo in Ireland on the 16th of July in 1847 in the midst of the Great Famine. His parents, James Wood and Anne Martin, were also both natives of that county, and as their only child, he was the heir to the Woodville and Clevar estates, and he received his early education at home and completed his academic training in Switzerland and then in Belgium. Now, upon the completion of the aforementioned education, in 1866, he joined the British Army, studying at the Royal Military College, Sandhurst, uh, after which he was commissioned in the 24th Regiment, serving as Lieutenant Colonel in the 8th Brigade, North Irish Division. He became a member of the Royal Irish Academy in 1883, and both published and presented to that August body, his association with the Royal Historical and Archaeological Association of Ireland. And that dominated his antiquarian career. Yeah. Um, let's see. In January, though, of 1888, Woodmartin became the association's honorary secretary alongside with a William Frederick Wakeman. Now, Woodmartin's membership in the association was a troubled one, uh, his editorship only lasted for three years, and a quiet fog of scandal hangs over his departure. Ooh. Uh, anti antiquarian scandal. Archaeologist scandal. The best kind. Ooh, hidden dirt. Uh, dirt in the dirt. Uh, dirt. I think I remember a King of the Hill episode about this. <laughs> uh, let's see. He served as that editor for quite a while until he did so no longer. Um, he passed away in 1917 at his Clever, Clever, neat uh, estate, where his children erected a granite memorial to his memory. Now, his opponent, Moran Bokesh, was the elder son of Ibrahim bin Khatib Dean and the great grandson of Abdul Aziz Mughal. He had three sons himself: Siraj Din, Purbuksh, and Roshan Din. Genealogy records owned by Muhammad Aslam Mughal, currently held in Langwali, a small village of Saklat, shows that he lived in that district. Yes, they do. Um, but this article shows pretty much not a whole lot else from what you have just mentioned there. Mm -hmm. I don't even know if he's supposed to be important for something. It, it would be like if I found a Wikipedia page for myself that just listed who my parents were. That's about what well, this is. Maybe that's where we should look. You see, uh, his father, Ibrahim bin Qutab Din, uh, was an important figure amongst the Mughal family, a direct descendant of Chinggis Khan, and was son to Qutab Din. Uh, as well, their family migrated to India from Yarkand and Kashgar in 1598. Okay, so they're famous because they're direct descendants of Chinggis Khan. Yeah. Okay. Got it. I don't yeah. know. Is that like is that like Genghis Khan's not his famous brother? I do not know and probably shouldn't comment. Probably smart. Um, you know, but that's all the information that we have. It sounds like a, you know, 
is a significant person in a line of people, but um, I don't know. This uh, William Gregory Wood Martin also seems to have been relatively not insignificant. I don't think, given what I have in front of me, that I have enough to move Moran on. I think it's got to go to William Gregory Wood Martin. And, you know, if we keep him around into the next round, we might find out a little more about that quiet fog of scandals. So if you and I are in in accord here, uh, we can move him on to the next round. We are in accord. We are in accord, of course. William Gregory Wood Martin, you've got a lot of names and a ticket to the next round of the I see some of the round seven competitors and I'm so excited. Play the music. Play the music. Round seven. We were in such accord in round six that one of our competitors from round seven is a harpsichord. Hey, now. So we have a harpsichord versus Peperomia rubella. Okay. Um, why don't we start there with the Peperomia rubella? Now, uh, it's a plant species in the family of Piperacea, uh, endemic to Jamaica. Small plant. Reddish stems and dark green elliptical fleshy leaves, generally arranged in clusters of four. It's in the pepper family, and that is literally all we know about it. Here's a little picture here. Um, it's a cute little plant. It looks like uh, it looks like a number of plants that you might see growing, uh, you know, around a beach. You know, kind of up where the beach ends. Uh, Thicker leaves, uh, as they said, red branches. It's, it's, ooh, looks a little spiny too, perhaps. Maybe that's just its neighbor. Um, but yeah, yeah, if you need a little pepper on your uh, beachside salad, you could probably grind a little bit of that up. Um, yeah. I guess you could. But you know what you can't grind up and eat? A harpsichord. No, no. you can only grind it. Again. Yes. Uh, a harpsichord, musical instrument played by means of a keyboard, activates a row of levers that turn a trigger mechanism that plucks one or more strings. Uh, strings are under tension on a soundboard, mounted in a wooden case. Think of like a piano, like a piano. Well, this was actually a predecessor to the piano. Uh, the thing about the harpsichord is that it could only play in one dynamic. Uh, you could not make it any louder or softer. And so that was that effect was usually achieved by the uh, textures of the music that you were playing. More notes felt louder. I now understand why the word piano means quiet. <laughs> yes, as a matter of fact, as we'll learn in a future lesson, that is actually the full name for it is piano forte, uh, because you could do either. Uh, we've shortened it now to piano, but let's not shorten the time we spend on the harpsichord. The harpsichord was most likely invented in the late Middle Ages. By the 16th century, makers in Italy were making lightweight instruments with low string tension. Now, a different approach was taken in the southern Netherlands, notably by the Rutgers family. Their harpsichords used a heavier construction and produced a more powerful and distinctive tone. Yeah, there's uh, 
there was a lot of variance on this, you know, it, it a lot of changes, uh, as we see here, a lot of tries too. Uh, we've got smaller, simpler, rectangular formed ones, uh, one here called a virginal. There's one called a spinet uh, with the strings at an angle, usually about 30 degrees to the keyboard. Um, we've got the Otavino, uh, smaller uh, spinets or virginals, uh, four foot pitch, harpsichord and octave. So also, you know, how the range, you know, how many notes you could fit on there was changing. Now, th this is interesting. I would expect an article about an instrument to have way less diagrams and physics explanations than this one does. But there are there are a lot of diagrams explaining very detailedly how this thing works. Uh, well, what is sound if not physics? Um, and what is Peperomia rubella if not, honestly, no, no, no competitor for the harpsichord. I mean, the harpsichord, the harpsichord. Yeah, I, I think, I think the harpsichord has to move on, if only because it's going through a little bit of a revival. According to this, it was oh, almost yeah. completely supplanted by the piano, but then. Composers returned to the instrument as they sought out variations and sounds available to them. It's got a bit of a tinnier sound, you know, a bit more edgy, a bit less round um, than the piano can sometimes have. It's nice. And a lot of old box, sound, box songs and things like that were written on it. So people like to hear how it sounded when they played it originally. Harpsichord, uh, golly, love your sound. Love to move you to the next round of... The oh yeah, yeah. Nothing rocks like a harpsichord. Maybe another harpsichord, but not. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's a really good point. Or one of those. Uh, you know, now they got those fancy electric organs where you can have them sound like anything. Mm -hmm. Sound exactly like a chord, but that can sound like a trumpet. So I guess that's a plus too. Yeah. Round eight. You know what's seven? I see. Do you by chance have any In round eight, we have another plant, Fatoa Velosa, against Otto Pletner, a Mexican rower. Okay. Um, we've got a rower versus a grower. Uh, let's see which one will be able to plant their roots in the next round. Fatoa velosa is the annual herb in the Mauritia or mulberry family. Common names include mulberry weed, crabweed, or hairy crabweed in Japanese. Ooh. Or ka uh, kawakusa in Japanese. Sorry about that. Sometimes it is a perennial mm. herb in the deep south of the United States, and the entire plant is covered in both glandular and recurved hairs, giving it a sticky feeling to the touch. Okay. Yes, resembles the leaves of a mulberry, giving rise to the common name of mulberry weed. Uh, the leaves are heart-shaped and up to 10 centimeters long, fairly large for a leaf. Um, at the base of each leaf is a pair of stipules. In the U.S., it is an invasive plant. It's actually native to Australia and parts of Southeast Asia, but it has been found in the U.S. as far north as Michigan and Massachusetts and as far west as California. Oh, this is interesting. The fruit is single-seeded and explosively shoots the seed up to several meters. 
that's terrifying. That's really cool. It's a plant, but it's loaded. Now it's its competitor, Otto Plettner, was born September 26, 1940. He's a rower from Mexico, competed in the 1964 Summer Olympics and the 68 Summer Olympics. And that is the extent of our information about our friend Otto. Yeah, I wish they had some results too. Uh, should we proceed thinking that they got first place? Yeah, I want to move Otto on. I don't think we need to talk any more about that weird plant. I think Otto is the winner. Oh, I totally disagree. I think that uh, this plant is pretty sweet. It's on the ground. It's literally shooting. I mean, it's a plant. It's it's it could sh- explode. That was all I needed. It explosively shoots its seed up to several meters. It's a plant that it, its leaves are only ten centimeters long. Okay, that's t- crazy. Tiebreaker it is, and we know how we handle tiebreakers here. That's right. Time for a tiebreaker. For a tiebreaker, Rob and I are both going to go roll around in the uh, foliage that we can find around our local vicinities, and the first one of us to get some sort of weird rash will have their choice moved on to the next round of the Ultimate Tournament of Everything. I know that was the plan initially, but it's raining here, so I'm going to have to pass. Uh, Could we pick a number Mm. between 1 and 1,000 instead? Oh, I think that sounds fair. What's your number going to be, Rob? Well, Otto here is 81, so I'm going to go with 81. Okay. Um, I'm going to go ahead and go with the number 10 for the length of its uh, leaves in centimeters. Okay. And our randomly selected number from the internet is 45. That was hey. way, way closer than I thought, but I think... I'm 35 away. I am 36 away. Oh, it doesn't get any closer. Hasa, <laughs> hasa, fataula vilosa. You are moving on, well grounded, into the next round of the Can't beat that. You cannot beat that. Okay, in round nine, this is our final round coming up, and I have some fun things planned for you as soon as you get that music ready. In round nine, we have Parnassius Nordmani. And Mike, I want you to guess what Parnassius Nordmani is, and I will give you four options. Is Parnassius Nordmani a moth? Is Parnassius Nordmani a butterfly? Is Parnassius Nordmani a shrimp? Or is Parnassius Nordmani a small village in Italy? Well, it certainly could be any of those things. Um, so we got a moth, a butterfly, a shrimp, or an Italian village. Um it sounds like we've had a lot of moths in this in this competition, maybe too many. Uh, so I think I'm going to skip that. Uh, an Italian village. Um, I can't remember what the name of the town was exactly again, so I'm not exactly sure if it sounded Italian. I'm going to throw that one out. Um, so we're down to a shrimp or a butterfly, and I got to go with my good friend, the shrimp. So close. It was a butterfly. 
Dagnabbit. I was close. I'm circling it. Next time, I'm going to nail it. Let's learn about them. Parnassius nordmani is a high-altitude butterfly found in the Caucasus Mountains. It's a member of the Snow Apollo genus of the Swallowtail family, and its larva feeds on Corydalis, a species... Uh, so they, they feed on other other butterflies? Oh, that's terrifying. Oh, no, it's flowers. Sorry, it's flowers. I was almost really scared. The larva feeds on an herbaceous and perennial plant. Okay. Uh, and you might find some herbaceous and perennial plants in its competitor, Eastcombe, Gloucestershire, um, a village in the Stroud district of Gloucestershire, England. Well, that's interesting. It's situated in southwest England. It's a region of the UK and is governed by the Stroud District Council. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like there's a Paris church called Eastcombe. Um, St. Augustine and served the parish of Boussage and Eastcombe uh, and the benefice, but they don't anymore. Uh, it was announced that the church was going to be sold. Okay, so it seems like the main at- attraction of this town was the church and no longer churching. Mm. Unfortunate. Now, it's it's interesting that we actually have a longer Wikipedia article about the butterfly than we do this village. Oh, but this butterfly is fantastic. Let me let me tell you a little bit more about it. Uh, it's got a four-wing without submarginal macular band. The vitreous margarine is considerably widened, uh, there being often a blackish spot before the hind margin. The ocelli of hindwing Reddish, yellow, distal, margin, glossy, gray. Need I say more? You know what? Don't say any more. That's enough for me to move it on. Eastcombe, I'm sorry. You got nothing on this beautiful high-altitude butterfly. That's right. And it flies so high that we may see its underside without basal spots or the anal spot bearing sometimes a distinct red pupil being oscillus-like. And that's why you're going to be moving on to the very next round. Of... Well, there you've had it. We've made it through 18 very random things off Wikipedia, pitted them out till only nine remain. And I'm sure we'll do this again. Mike, do you have a message for the people? I do. It's important to uh, make sure that you tune in each week because you don't want to miss a single competitor who will be moving on to the next round of the ultimate tournament of everything. We're facing off everything versus everything else. So eventually your favorite and least favorite thing will compete. Cheer on your favorite next week on the ultimate tournament of everything.